All right, look, I know you probably have an electrical exam coming up. You're really stressed out. You're thinking, what am I studying and how should I study and what is the proper approach? Because I get this call all the time. And many people have heard me say a philosophy of education for electrical exam preparation is repetition and, of course, a structured study plan. So we're going to talk about that today on this episode and going to give you some insights about exam preparation, things that you need to take into consideration for you when you're taking or preparing to take an exam. Well, hey, folks, welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and, of course, all things electrically related. Uh, On today's episode, like the intro stated, um, we are going to uh, talk about exam preparation and and how to deal with it, Uh, because I get an awful lot of people that reach out to me and they go, look, Paul, I've, I've been in the field for many years. Um, or I've, I've been as a helper or an apprentice or, uh, you know, working f- in the field with my hands in some capacity in the electrical industry, and I've accumulated the hours in the state, whatever state you're in, has now uh, permitted me to come in and, and, uh, and sit for licensure. Yeah, so at that point, people are like, what do I do? Um, and you've heard me say this, I'm sure if you're an avid listener, if you're not, please uh, subscribe. Uh, you get notices anytime we do a podcast. And people have asked, you know, what is the process of learning the code? I mean, one of the bigger questions that I get, believe it or not, and even today, and with the number of videos that I've done, uh, is when I'm doing a calculation on a dwelling and I always bring it back to a dwelling because there's, there's so many more dwellings that are done. The commercial stuff is pretty easy. For an electrician, uh, I want to teach you how to do that, but more often than not, the engineers are going to design that out, and you're simply just pulling something from point A to point B. That's not to take away the fact that you have to learn to bend uh, raceways, conduits, whatnot, uh, which, you know, conduits are a raceway. Uh, you have to learn how to install cable assemblies and do all these things. So you got to do that. And I, I can't teach you that. That's stuff that you've got to put in the time. And, but on a drawing or a blueprint, you actually follow the plan. Now, granted, you really have to get good at understanding measurements and layouts because, you know what, if that, if that conduit is not in the right location when that wall gets put in and it's supposed to pop up in a wall, uh, they're going to come looking at you, and that's a big issue. Right, especially after it's been put in, uh, all the uh, groundwork's been done, concrete's been poured, and you did something on your layouts that weren't uh, proper. Uh, that that would suck. Okay, there's no no doubt about that. Uh, but once you get that down, because you worked on a project, you you get used to measuring and, and the concept. And again, once you learn it, you've understood that fundamental. You have your key points that you measure from. Uh, what, once you've done that. Um, then at that point, you're basically just following blueprints. 
not to say that you don't have to understand circuits and all this stuff, because you have to, obviously you do. But when we're talking hands-on, and again, in, in opposed to residential, okay, which, which I started this topic at, uh, in the commercial end of it, again, it's basically just you tell me what you want me to run from point A to point B, and I'll run it. Now, there is obviously a lot of pride that people take in learning how to bend raceways, uh, whether it's conduit or tubing, uh, and that's great. And you need to know those skills. Uh, there's some of those off-the-wall bends that people do that I think are probably you'll never do in your career, but you need to know how to do a saddle bend. You need to know how to do uh, offsets, uh, 90s accurately, a 90 with an offset. So you need to do all these things, and you're going to learn that on that job, okay? You can't read that. You can't learn that in a book, right? All right, so that's a given. Now, the difference in that is residential, and that's the reason we we bring this up when it comes to why you see on electrical exams far more residential type of questions, even though it might be a a journeyman or versus a master exam. Uh, It's because... There's so many more things that the electrician has to be able to calculate out or work out or understand, right? So fundamentally, you're not given typically with residential a set of blueprints uh, other than maybe a building set that you might mark up locations if you walk with your customer uh, and say, what do you want here, there, here, there, there. Uh, On a commercial set, they're already dictated to you unless there's some change order or something happens. Uh, But in residential, you have to think about it. You have to really think about these calculations for a dwelling unit. Uh, So a single-family dwelling, two-family dwelling, and in multifamily, we have three or more dwelling units. Uh, You really have to start thinking about these calculations. But back to what the students always have issue with is, even if I'm doing a single-family dwelling, um, where do I start? You know, the, the logical flow, they, they, they seem to get lost in the flow. And, and so it usually calms them down a little bit. And, you know, my students, when I'm tutoring students, and that's a lot of the tutoring things that people ask, Paul, just walk me through this calculation. Okay. I say, well, first thing you need to do, know is you need to start gathering up all the appliances uh, because we know what circuits are required is a given unless you go more than what this code calls for. For example, it calls for a minimum of two small appliance brand circuits. But if you put four in there, then they're 1,500 VA each. You have to know these things. So when I talk about how to understand the National Electrical Code and prepare for an exam, uh, it's also the same thing that we do in the Fast Tracks program. So if you're not familiar with our Fast Tracks program, and you're probably saying, well, I've already got the program, or I've never heard of the program, uh, you need to go to our website or watch our video that does a demo. And we do a demo on our website. You just go to masterthenec.com. That's M-A-S-T-E-R-T-H-E-N-E-C.com. And you go to the Fast Tracks page, and there's a demo button. Click the demo, watch the video, and you'll see that the Fast Track program builds on that same concept that I have, that philosophy that I have, is, is repetition, and I do that a lot in my training. That's why you'll hear me say things over and over again, redundancy, because subconsciously, that's the way people learn when they hear things over and over again. So I, you know, I have people that say, Paul's repeating things over and over. Trust me, I already know I'm doing it. I'm doing it for a reason. Whether you like it or not, 
There is a method to that madness of my teaching approach, which might not be the same teaching approach as somebody else. You might not like my teaching approach. Perfectly fine. That's the beautiful thing about living in America. You have a choice. Okay. But for those that do benefit from this process of learning, um, what we do in our Fast Tracks program is literally work you from the very beginning with definitions. In fact, our programs always start with the fundamentals of the NEC, how it originated, when the NFPA took it over, and all those type of things. That's a fundamental unit that we cover in our unit. And then you move on to definitions, which are critically important to understand. And then you move on and start in Article 100, 110. You move your way through the program. And at the end of each unit, we have what's called competency reviews. And I think the vast majority of our students uh, and uh, literally uh, over a 1,000 students that have been through our programs since this past 2020, if you literally think about the, when I review all these competencies, I can kind of tell when a student is going to be struggling before they even get to the real complicated units. Uh, because if you're struggling with definitions, and again, they're all right there in black and white in your code book, then you're struggling there. I can kind of see that progression. And of course, I monitor personally, me, every student's activity in the course. And so you move through the units. And when you get to the end of a unit, you're going to submit what's called a competency review. Now, this is what you don't get when you do it yourself. This is what you don't get if you buy DVDs or you just read a book. You don't get that interaction online. And that's so important because your exam in today's technology that's where you're going to be doing your exam online, okay? And when I say online, I mean sitting in front of a computer in a test center, okay, where it's on a screen in front of you, which we emulate in our program. So you take the competency review, right? And I can actually see how well you retain the information that you just read. And so when I give feedback to the student, which is a comment to their grading their test, I will tell you, if you got below 85%, then there's something in the material that just did not resonate with you. you the information is all right there. I know it's right there because I've reviewed it all. It's right there. So if there's a reason why you didn't retain it, and, I, and we gave you a program that specifically calls out the information that you need to remember, there's no way that you can retain it if you're just flipping through a code book and you're not studying with the program. So that's why we came up with the program. Okay. That's why we promoted this program. And I'm going to tell you in 2020, it's gone phenomenal. I know the economy has been down with other things and, and people are struggling. Uh, I get it, but our program has seen record growth. Uh, and I attribute this to people really, really wanting to better themselves to grow and learn and get that license because it's the greatest thing, man. Being the, somebody who works with electrical but then becomes a licensed electrician, then you can call yourself an electrician. Until then, you're just working with it. You're just a, a, a working with electricity. You're, you're not an electrician. You can't call yourself an electrician until you hold that license. Now, you can say licenses don't mean crap, and I'm going to tell you you're wrong until you're blue in the face. I, I'm blue in the face. Well, you're going to be blue in the face because you might disagree with me. It's a fact. When you become a licensed electrician or a licensed electrical contractor, you have taken the next step in your career, period. Okay? So, anyway, 
I do this a lot. I go all over the place. So going back to the fast tracks. So study plan. Once you do that unit, that competency review, we can see where your deficiencies are. And we're going to give you the answers to the questions you got wrong as long as you get a 60%. Now, there is a, a proposal on our board of directors to raise that value so that we don't give the answers to anything less than 75%. Why? Because most exams, the passing score is 75 on average. Some are less, 70, but on average. So the point is you, you purchased a program because you need to learn. Some of our board believes that if you score below an acceptable passing grade, that you should go back and reread the material. And it's only going to behoove you to do that. You're only going to, this is not a sprint in our program. You have access to it for a full year. This is a marathon. So if it means you have to go back and read something, you don't get frustrated. It's literally because you really need to go back and read it. There's something about it that just not hit, didn't hit home with you. And a lot of people do. That's the number one thing I see in people that struggle with the learning the code is, is reading comprehension and reading retention. So they, they read something and they finish the paragraph and they really don't know what it said. They, they can't remember what it said. It, and you just finished reading it, right? And that's a reading comprehension thing. And so the last thing that we want is for you to be sitting in an exam and a question comes up on the computer and you read it and you just don't understand. You can't comprehend it. So this is why I did a video on how to dissect the root of a question. And you can find that video just simply, uh, it's in our course, but you can also go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. And you can go look under our courses. It's in the uh, in our NEC playlist, and it's in our electrical calculations playlist. You can Google through, uh, well, you can search through the search feature and find it. But again, it's all about, finding the root of the question so that you can maximize your efforts when using the index to try to find the answer to the question, or at least put you in the right position. And then you can use two techniques called bold scanning. Well, that technique is bold scanning is where you go right to the article that you think it is, and you start scanning the bolds in that, right? So that's called bold scanning. And, of course, the, the other technique is simply doing what a lot of people do is they will we'll go and use the, the uh, table of contents to find a, a general part that something might be in for a specific article. And then they'll go to the index and they'll look for specific direct links to the issue. Uh, and they won't use maybe a little bit of bold scanning when they actually get to the area so they can narrow it down. But basically, you're using the question and the answers that are giving you on your screen to try to hone in on the correct answer, okay? And so it's a technique, and go watch that video because I explain in that video how to do that. Uh, but in our Fast Tracks program, the video is also included uh, as well, so you can get direct access. If you're in our Fast Tracks program, it's in the mega file right before you start doing the practice exams. That's another thing I should mention. Uh, in our Fast Tracks program, our exam prep program, um, we have over 1,200 practice exams. Not all the questions are perfect. I don't write them. 
Um, but in looking at them, uh, of the 1,200, there might be five that I don't like. Um, but that's okay because they generate the students' curiosity. And you'd be surprised the number of emails I get from people who go, hey, this was marked wrong, but I think this question's wrong. And they're right, and the editors are aware of that question being incorrect. But the fact that I get more pride out of knowing that that student identified it and then had enough to reach out to me and say, hey, I think I got this question right, and it says I got it wrong, you'd think that, that I would be like, oh, crap, there's an error in the program. No. I, I actually, am, you know, if they leave them, I don't care because the vast majority of the questions are great. Um, but there's very few uh, that are just the way they're written. You might get it wrong and you challenge it and I give you credit for it. And to be honest with you, it excites me because that tells me that the student is starting to get it, right? You're starting to understand how to look something up. So, and again, there's a lot of students that probably just gloss right by that. But at the end of the day, that, that few, it really does uh, hammer home that uh, what we're doing really matters. So, so anyway, back to what we're talking about. So when it comes to residential, um, one of the bigger questions people say is, I just don't get how to get it started. And I say, look, in our fast track program, uh, or you can do one yourself, um, there's a methodology to the structure of how you uh, prepare to do a load calculation, say, for a dwelling, um, whether you're using standard option method. The first thing you always know you need to do is you have to gather all of the appliance information. I mean, you just might as well start doing that. Now, a lot of people just do rule of thumbs. They don't do that. I know a lot of electricians who certainly will not gather their list um, and you know what? If you've done enough homes, you could probably look at something and say, based on square footage and what appliances that are in there, you can go, well, you know, that's a 200 amp service, and most people are going to do at least a 200 amp. Um, so, but you, but you need to know how to do it for an exam. And what we do in the Fast Track program, again, is provide a form that helps you learn the step by step process. And you could print this form out, and you can keep it, laminate it, and put it in your code book and use it anytime. Instead of guessing, you can be accurate, right? But when it comes to an exam, they're going to, if they're going to give you an exam question, you just need to know how to do any phase of that. So I tell people all the time, they say, well, that sounds complicated. It's not complicated. Okay, you need to know your square footage. You need to determine the dimensions, length, and width in order to come up with your square footage. You know that dwellings are three VA per square foot. You know that it's a minimum of two small appliance brand circuits. You know a minimum laundry circuit. Those are 15, uh, 1,500 VA each. Um, and then you know that you are able to apply the demand factors of uh, 220.42, uh, first 3,000 at 100%, the remaining 117,000 at 35%, anything over that at 25%, right? You, you do that, and then you move on to the appliances. Water heaters and appliance, dishwasher, okay, garbage disposal, you do all your appliance. If you're doing a standard method, once you get four or more, you get to apply 75% demand. But you're basing this on all these appliances. Uh, and once you finish the appliances, you move on to the range. You move on to the dryer. Follow those rules in 220.54 and 220.55. Once you do that, you move on to the heat versus AC. Okay? And you do that, and you start comparing that. And then once you do that, you realize that I have to take at least an additional 
for whatever motor that was in that dwelling that was the largest motor. Now, people say, where does this 25% come from? Well, it's because the code required you to take um, the 125% of the largest motor, where you already took the motor under probably your appliances, although it could be under your AC compressor if it is the largest. You already took into consideration the motor at 100%. So the reason we had to do the that same one at times the you know the additional 25%, all we're trying to get is that additional 25% for that largest motor. And people say, well, that's confusing. I'm saying, no, you've already taken all the motors into consideration. This is just saying that the largest motor had to be taken at 125%. Well, since you've already taken all the motors at their rating at 100%, all you're trying to do is capture that additional 25% so that truly you took the largest motor at 125%. Uh, anyway, you add all that up and you just divide it by 240, and that's going to give you your amps that's necessary. Uh, and with that number, it's going to help you size your overcurrent protective device, which is 240.6A. Once you determine that and we know the ampacity necessary, then you can size your conductors. So, and, and if it's a 120, 240 volt, three wire, single phase, uh, say for a single dwelling unit, then don't forget that you can apply 310, uh, uh, 310.12 in the 2020 code, but in the 2017 is 31515B7, and that is the 83% rule based on the service or feeder rating. And that would be your minimum size of your service or feeder conductors. Again, if all of the rules used in 310.12 are applicable. And so that is the best possible answer. And on an exam, you want the best possible answer. Uh, could it be larger than that? Absolutely. Can I size the conductors at 750 kc mil if I wanted for a dwelling? A 200? Absolutely. And it's not going to fit on the lugs, but you could do it if you wanted. Nothing prohibits you. But why would you do that? It's needless money that you don't need to spend. So you want to always solve the equation for the best possible answer, right? And so that's, that's basically it. Really, it is. And if you say, well, how does this equate to the optional method? Well, the beautiful thing is the stuff that you did with the standard method up front is the same thing you're going to do for the optional method. Still going to be 3 VA per square foot. Still got to account for your small appliance brand circuits, minimum of 2, 1,500 uh, VA each. The laundry circuit, 1,500 VA. You still got to do that. Nothing changes. But then you start adding all the things that are in the list when it comes to appliances, and you're able to add these things up. Uh, you're able to take the appliances, the nameplate value of your ranges, your dryers, uh, all of that, water heater, everything, and then you get to apply the overall demand factors that are in the optional method, which is the first 10,000 at 100% and the remaining at 40%. And so it's really great diversity here. And then you, that's a separate piece, okay? And then you got to do the AC versus heat. And that one's a little different because it says you compare and take whichever the largest. And there's, there's a list of them depending on what your heat is, depending on whether it's AC at 100%, and you go down the list. And you have to determine which one you're dealing with. And then once you come up with that value, you just add the two together and then you divide that by 240 again, and you come up with whatever your service would be. And so if you think about it, if you learn the steps 
It's a piece of cake. And people say, well, if I throw you a curveball, Paul, I'll add this this extra piece of appliance or I'll add this. It's not a curveball. All you do is plug it in in whatever step you're working with. So I guess my biggest message to, to folks out there that are studying for an exam is don't stress it. It's, it's easy stuff. This is not complicated stuff. I think we overcomplicate it. Uh, and when people do the calculations, they get things wrong. They say, oh, my God, this is complicated. No, it's, it's because you might have left out a piece or you might left out a step. And most people leave out trying to capture that additional 25% for the largest motor when you're dealing with a standard method. I mean, that's the most of the things that people leave out. Um, but at the end of the day, if you understand fundamentally how to do each step, that's all you're going to encounter on an exam. There, most exams are not going to ask you to do an entire calculation on a dwelling. They're just not. So if you learn each piece. Now, how does this translate into multifamily dwellings? That's simple. Simple. When you think of a multifamily dwelling, you have the standard method you could use for the dwelling units, or you have optional methods. And if you have the optional method, you just simply follow the same procedure for each individual dwelling unit under the optional method. And when you're doing services feeders, you have a nifty table that you can go to that's going to give you some of these values that you're going to utilize. And you get a very healthy demand factor for it. But you just have to put it in context uh, because we no longer are, are thinking of this as the big picture of the entire, I've got to do the entire service or I've got to do the entire thing. Most exams are not going to ask you to do that. Now, with exceptions to some weird states who, for some reason, feel like they need to pound their chest in order to give you such a test that, that they probably can't answer it themselves. And trust me, I've seen that happen in some of our meetings with the quote-unquote experts in the room, <laughs> me included. And at the end of the day, um, most states aren't going to do that. Okay? So I, I would say when it comes to exam preparation, whatever you use, Get into a good exam prep program. Uh, I'm not a believer. A couple things I'm not a believer in, okay? I'm not a believer in the crash course uh, weekend type of things where, okay, for eight hours for two days, I'm going to literally bombard you with calculations and I'm going to bombard you with code tips and tricks and uh, things like that. I'm not a believer in that. I just think it's just a quick money grab. Um Maybe if they promoted it more as a 16 hours of uh, tutoring, uh, okay, then okay. But And it's not the instructor's fault, okay? They're just offering a course to teach you this information. There's that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, what I'm saying is for the student, if you go into one of these crash courses and you do not have a good understanding of the NEC, you haven't studied it for any given amount of time, uh, then you're going in there and the instructor's, who are very gifted at this format, right? They're gifted at this type of format where they are focused on giving you as much information as possible. You're not going to retain it. You're not going to, you're going to walk out of there feeling so confused. Your mind is going to be in a jumble and you're just, you're not going to get it. And by the time you take your exam, now you're going to be very stressed out and confused. How do I know this? Because I have literally dozens and dozens of students that are in our Fast Tracks program that come from that experience. They did the crash courses. They failed. 
they allowed them to come back and take it again. They failed, and they got very frustrated. And then they ask me, and I say, you're not going to learn it enough to reduce that stress when you're sitting in front of the screen taking an exam, and that first question pops onto the screen that you weren't prepared for, that you didn't feel like you studied for, and the rest of your day is going to go to crap. And I teach you to breathe, relax, mark that question, and go to the next question. Don't dwell on it because the answer will come to you as you start getting more comfortable into the test environment. Okay? Don't stress. Um, so anyway, that's it for today's episode. Uh, just wanted to give some insight because, again, I, I, I get a sheer, and I probably covered this topic many times, I get a sheer volume of questions about exam prep. You would not believe the amount that I get. Um, and probably because as far as exam prep specific, uh, Electrocode Academy is probably the foremost educating uh, academy on exam preparation and teaching you the fundamentals of passing an exam as well as being able to retain it through our unique platform uh, that we call ballistic training. Whereas you can, you can use our program, you can read it on the screen, then you can click the read me feature. It will read it to you. You follow the bouncing cursor and something about it helps you retain it. And that's what we're after. And put that together with our competency reviews. When we tell you that you need to go back and read it again, we mean that. Go back and read it again. That's the only way you're going to really, really, really fundamentally retain it. Okay, folks, that's it for today's episode. Until next time, stay safe. God bless.